Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, a show for accountants using technology to make their jobs more strategic and impactful. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Joining us today is Donnie Shimamoto, CPA. He's the founder and managing director of Enterprise Technologies, a CPA firm focused on organizational development and advisory services for the middle market, nonprofits, and SMBs that think big. As of March, Donnie is also now the Director of Innovation of the Houston CPA Society. Thanks for joining us today, Donnie. Hey, glad to be here, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. It's our pleasure. Donnie, so I was excited to hear that you're the Director of Innovation at the Houston CPA Society, but I was a bit confused at first because isn't your CPA firm based in Hawaii? How does that work? We are. I actually currently split my time between Hawaii and Houston. So I spend about half my time in Houston, a quarter of the time in Hawaii, and the other quarter is actually wherever there is a conference or perhaps some other type of meeting, client meeting that I have to attend. So that explains why I see so many pictures of airplane wings on your social media accounts. <laughs> oh, come on. There was just one on airplane wings so far. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're pretty good about it. Some people overdo it a little bit. but uh, yeah. So David, uh, what's new this week? Well, it was 4th of July, right? So did you guys do anything fun? Um, I have a three-year-old, so we just um, put him to bed and then watched fireworks <laughs> on television. <laughs> and honestly, it was the best night. Yeah, we, it, was a, it was a little hot here in Tucson. So we, um, in the, so the wife and I just went up to a restaurant in the foothills and watched, you know, City View and watched fireworks from, you couldn't hear them, right? So far enough away where you couldn't hear them. But it was, it was kind of nice to have dinner and just watch the fireworks we were sitting there eating. That sounds better than both than mine. It, it was actually thunderstorming. I was in, I'm in Houston this week. It was thunderstorming here. So it, it was actually a nice day to kind of just, uh, lay on the couch and catch up on some, uh, so you think you can just the, the marathon of that, huh? Yeah. So I, I think in the news though, this week, or it's kind of at the end of last week. And I think it's, it's with 4th of July, it's the most American thing we could talk about, which is the new 1040 tax form. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw or not, but the 1040 fact tax form is being reinvented physically. Like the physical paper is being reinvented from a sheet of paper, the sheet and a half paper down to almost like a large postcard. And then it's going to have like six uh, add-on forms. Did you guys see this at all? Yes. Yep. It's kind of ridiculous, right? I mean, something like 90% of Americans are filing their taxes online, right? So why are we (laughs) redesigning a form so that it can be mailed in? (laughs) That's that's true. But if if you think about it, what it really represents, in my mind, it represents tax simplification. And that's something, you know, some people always, when they see CPA, they go, oh, okay, taxes. And then I've had people tell me, oh, and you guys want taxes more complex and more. And I'm like, no, um, we actually want things simpler. And I've actually gone with the AICPA and my state society to the Hill and been like, hey, we're, we're trying to fight for tax simplification. We don't want it to be crazy. So I kind of see this postcard in, or postcard form uh, in, a, in that light. It's, it's going towards simpler. So you you really you feel that that it that the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act has simplified the code because I you know I'm not a tax guy um, so I just you know take what I read online and it seems like um, it really at least what I've read doesn't seem that much simpler or or am I wrong? I'm not a tax guy either, so take what I say <laughs> with a grain of salt. Uh, I when I look at and when I read some of the intention, I think the intention is there. 
What we're seeing right now, I think, in the news is a lot of confusion on the implementation and the rulemaking. And this is where I think we see a lot of problems with a lot of the laws that we have or even tax code that we have where there's a particular intention. But as we try and get into rulemaking and figuring out what is right or what is maybe not what is right, but what it applies to, what it doesn't apply to, that's where we're going to start to see some confusion because perhaps definitions weren't clearly made like the entertainment expense that doesn't seem to have been made very clear in the way the law was crafted and so now there's a lot of talk about what that impacts but i, I think the intention is is there I, at least i want to give the benefit of the doubt that the intention is there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's interesting i think the uh the article from the journal accountancy you know it references the, how there's now this there's gonna it's gonna attach to six possible schedules as needed but then those schedules are basically linked to a bunch of supporting schedules that will continue to exist in their standard form. And you might have to attach to the other six new schedules. <laughs> so it, it's really confusing. Is this really going to be simpler? Or I think going back to what Blake said, like, does this matter at all? I was really trying to think the last time I physically touched a paper 1040. Like, and I'm not sure, like maybe 20 years ago. Um, and then maybe with TurboTax, I printed one out 15 years ago and printed and signed and mailed it. But like who really like from the physical standpoint is touching these anymore. So David, um, given your, you know, age, (laughs) (laughs) given your position, uh, inside of into it, um, do you, do you feel that, uh, this, this change will, uh, accelerate growth of TurboTax online tax filing? I did read one article and I'll try to find that and put that in the show notes saying that, um, you know, this is going to hurt H and R block. And accelerate the move towards, say, TurboTax and other solutions. Yeah, I think that there's a quote from Brad Smith on this, and I think the 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 um, summary is: if it keeps getting simpler, more and more people are going to be even more confident they could do it themselves, right? And then they'll just, I mean, they're probably not going to do it on paper; they're probably going to use software, right? So obviously, TurboTax could have a huge benefit from this. Well, yeah, I'm not a tax guy, but I I can figure out how to do my taxes on TurboTax, <laughs> which is the opposite of Donnie's feedback he was getting from people like, Oh, you, because people assume that Intuit and TurboTax want taxes super complicated, but the pendulum is actually the, the opposite is true. The simpler they are, the better it is for everybody, including Intuit. Right. Because then it's easier to do it yourself with the software assisting you. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think, you know, sometimes we're a little biased because all of us are very active in technology world and we forget like, you know, David wasn't mentioning earlier, like who's still finding the paper. There's a lot of senior citizens, perhaps people that are in more rural areas that I, I, and again, that probably are in the order age that are still actually using this stuff. So there is a benefit, at least to them. That's true. We can't forget them. Yeah, especially I think you're right. Like it's almost where if they're a senior citizen or on a fixed income, they're never going to use any of these schedules. I could see yeah, popping in, boom, 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 and they're done. Mm-hmm. Well, so uh, speaking of legislation, um, something kind of slipped by in the news that that actually could have massive uh, implications in the United States for privacy law. California unanimously passed a historic privacy bill recently. It's called the uh, California Consumer Privacy Act of 2018 was passed unanimously. Um, And it basically, well, Donnie, I think you're familiar with GDPR in the EU. Are you, have you, have you um, taken a look at this bill? Only briefly. And a lot of people are actually pointing towards GDPR and saying that this is basically GDPR or actually, I, I've seen somewhere it says this is actually broader than GDPR coming in uh, to the states. And so it, it, it does raise some concern in that GDPR was interesting in that it reached beyond what we traditionally think of. We in, a, in the U.S. traditionally think of 
of being protected, which is uh, financial account information, people's identity, like social security numbers and um, health records and the GDPR. And it looks like this California bill is also incorporating things like behavioral indicators and the ability to see what to actually see what someone what data someone has about you and then that right to be forgotten. So how do you actually mm-hmm. delete data or are you able to delete data of a customer that says, Hey, I want you to forget that I was ever your customer or even not even a customer. I can't even browse your website type of a thing. Well, it's going to create a lot of administrative work for tech companies in California. I mean, most of them are based here and they've got millions and millions of users here. So they're going to have to create ways for California residents to opt out of data collection and sharing. Um, which basically, if you, you know, it's sort of like the automobile market, right? If you increase mileage requirements in California, basically the rest of the country has to follow along, right? Well, remember, remember too, though, that these are written like the identity theft laws. So they're not just applicable to California. They actually apply to California residents. So any business that has a California residence information, that right is extended out to them. The same thing with GDPR. It's not just countries, businesses in the European Union, it's businesses doing business with someone that's in the European Union. And so it, it actually is, it, it does start to reach out quite quickly. Because, uh, again, <laughs> think about all these large tech companies, even the ones not based in California that have customers or anybody that's in California, this is potentially affecting them. So if I'm a, I'm a cloud accountant in Arkansas, and I have clients in California and I have their information in my CRM tool. And then maybe I have it synced to um, an automated payment, recurring payment situation, right? I'm going to have to disclose to my customers why I'm storing their data in my CRM. Like it feels like it's very broad yeah, and far and reaching. That's, that's why they're saying that it's scary. And like, like with GDPR as well, it's scary because it is very far reaching. Well, and it's interesting because um, as, as the economy moves more towards subscription, models for transactions rather than, you know, uh, transactional model. Um, this is one of the things that, you know, the founder of Zora talks about, uh, that Jeff Bezos talks about is that to, to successfully run a subscription based business, you have to know as much as possible about your customers. So that means collecting a lot of data about them. Uh, so the, it's, it's going to create a challenge. Um, I know just for us at Flowcast, we collect, um, a good amount of information about our customers using Salesforce and then aggregating data from other sources. It helps us provide a great service and reach them and find them. Uh, but also now we, we're going to have to comply with those uh, requirements. Mm-hmm. And think disclosing. about how would you reach across if I came and I said, I want you to show me all the information you have about me. How would you actually do that across all these different systems? Yeah, it's definitely we'd have to figure out how to how to get all of that into Salesforce. Right, so that we have like one record where we can actually show somebody what we've got about them, and, and maybe this is a, a again like kind of like the sales tax play we talked about last week, right? Where there's going to be some small businesses that are going to take the risk, right? Of like, good luck, come after me, right? And it, 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 until they go after the Facebooks and Googles and the AT and Ts and the Verizons and all the big players, like how many years is it going to take till they start going after small businesses for compliance issues like this? Well, the good news is that it only applies to. Let's see, there's some thresholds. As you're looking for that, the the other thing that we see though, because a lot of times that's what it's, so I specialize in working with small and mid size, and when I give talks about this type of stuff, they're normally like, well, this is all big guys. It doesn't apply to us. But then I start to tell them like, well, think about, do you have any contracts with any bigger companies? 
because the contract, if you're a subsource or something, or you're providing a service and, and adjacent to a bigger company that is subject to this, they're going to push those requirements down to you because it's still their custom. You're dealing with their customers. And that normally is where people start to go, oh, wait, it is going to hit our small business. So it is going to reach us. Okay, here's the thresholds. Three thresholds. One, annual gross revenues of $25 million. Actually, pretty low. Two, obtains personal information of 50,000 or more California residents, households, or devices annually. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's also quite low. Or three, 50% or more annual revenue from selling California residents' personal information. So that's interesting because uh, that's a lot of businesses right there, especially the 50,000. Um, another interesting fact from the from the law uh, is the the penalties that are now in place with this law um, for data breaches. Consumers can sue for up to seven hundred and fifty dollars for each violation, while the state attorney general can sue for intentional violations of privacy at up to seventy five hundred dollars each. So imagine millions of consumers uh, having a privacy violation that's going to put you out of business. Uh, And for both consumer and state lawsuits, companies have to be given 30 days to fix the problem. But that's 30 days. Not for something that, like you said, it's, it's so far reaching. It's, it's not an easy solution. I'm glad to hear the intentional piece was built into that. That was something that even on the GDPR side we're hearing is, and we've been recommending to clients, you know, try and just at least demonstrate that you tried to comply. Cause even if you don't get it completely right, if at least that they're seeing that you're actually making an effort, that the thought is that the regulators will be a little more lenient on that compared to, I, I guess we could draw the analogy to the IRS since we're talking about the IRS, right? If, they, if you, if you didn't intentionally fraud, defraud them, I guess, in a sense, then they tend to be a little more lenient as they come, when they come after you. <laughs> so, uh, Donnie, what have you uh, been up to lately? Any interesting talks, anything on your plate? Any, uh, you know, like what's your latest, uh, churning in your brain right now for 2018. Well, Blake, Blake mentioned I took on this role of director of innovation for the Houston CPA Society. So innovation has been top of mind in a lot of different ways. And uh, take I took that position. I was actually previously the outsourced chief innovation officer for them. And that was primarily focused on really revamping their entire backend systems, um, getting them completely to the cloud. So we, we basically took them from all desktop and servers and are now completely on a cloud stack, except for the accounting system, which is the last piece that we actually have to get out of there. Um, so they're, but they're looking at that now and trying to figure that where they're going to go in there. But this whole innovation and, and the concept that innovation is beyond. So I mentioned that the technology piece was my first step was essentially modernizing them. And now we're actually switching and looking at everything else. So I'm working with the way that they are approaching their conference planning, the type of content they have. I'm really looking at helping them relook at their leadership programs, both um, at the professional level or practitioner level, and, and also working with them on a pipeline and looking at students and how they're engaging students and getting them interested in the accounting profession. So it's, it's been pretty fun working with a bunch of different things. That's awesome. So um, I'd love to hear more about what you're doing or planning to do with students. Mm. I think, what can I tell you? It's so top secret. No, <laughs> no this, I'm actually really <laughs> impressed with this, uh, the way Houston, the Houston chapter has this set up. They have a group, their, their student group is actually a, a, a campus agnostic group. Uh, most of the student like clubs are, are chartered on campus. This is a non-campus race one. So they actually cross multiple campuses 
and they collaborate with, for example, Beta Alpha Psi or the accounting societies on the individual campuses. Uh, as well as I, I, it looks like they also work with like Nava Ascend and Alpha and try to design things that are really um, bringing the practitioners and professionals from the CPA side together with students from multiple uh, campuses and give, really giving them exposure that, hey, uh, so I, we keep eating on tax. We're not all just tax accountants. We do a lot more. So like I've spoken for them to raise awareness of the role that CPAs can play in IT and innovation. Um, I know we've done some, they've had some speakers on cybersecurity and then also like litigation, what happens in there and, and valuations. So it's just a lot of awareness. So you're really like taking people from that stereotypical like, oh, CPA, like you said yourself, right? You're, you, you have the CPA title, but you don't do any tax. But for everybody else, this thing is tax. So imagine students, they're getting their freshman year of college. They're like, I want to be a CPA. I must have to do tax. But you're really opening their eyes up to like, hey, there's a whole world of possibilities you could do in this profession. Completely. And really, the profession is just a starting point. So it's, it's get that base, understand Really, what we do with CPAs is understand how a business operates, where the risks are, how you manage risks, and then how do you support better decision making. That's the way I think of it. And at least that's what I do with for my clients. And it's sometimes it's financial, and there's definitely a big financial piece because we all end up having to pay taxes and work with money and we need cash flow. Uh, but then it's what are we doing in other things like within operations, within HR, within leadership. Uh, within innovation, which could involve business processes and knowledge and learning. Well, that's very refreshing to hear that that you're you're helping out the students in Houston learn about that possibility because I I never heard about that when I was studying. <laughs> well, see, and that's that's exactly why I love what they're doing because it's it's we need to really let people know that hey, you know, there's a lot of us out here that don't do taxes and and frankly don't do audits or or basic bookkeeping either. So, Donnie, we're coming up at the end of our show. Before we go, I'd love to give you the opportunity to share out uh, how people can find you online and get in touch with you and learn more about enterprise technologies. Oh, wonderful. Sure. The uh, The company website is enterprise.us. So, www.intrapris.us. We've got a lot of that there. But uh, on this theme that we're talking about, the non-traditional accountant, I also have my own blog, uh, donnyitk.com, Donnie with a Y, itk.com, where I'm kind of, sh- I'm sharing as well. And this, the students are actually going to end up on my blog in a little bit, uh, really looking at what's happening there. So I, I would say use those as the two starting points. And uh, I'm always available, uh, Donnie at enterprise.us, if, if you want to shoot me an a email and would love to chat with people about what they're trying to do with innovation and really helping change the profession. Well, thank you, Donnie, so much for your time today. And um, enjoy your 4th of July weekend. David, uh, I look forward to seeing you as always next week for our next episode. And uh, how would people, if they want to, send us an article for the next episode or get a hold of us? How do they get a hold of you, Blake? I think they should just tweet at us. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. And I'm at David Leary. And we look forward to hearing from you. Drop us a line. Bye. Bye, everybody.